0: Hello, a little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18 or anyone who never got the name Smut Drop. It's nearly been two years. Come on, people, Smut Drop, as in. Never mind. I'm ahead of the game. Hello all and welcome to the final smut drop. Yes, the end is here. I'm afraid we've just reached the end of our relationship. It's not you, it's me. But what a ride it has been. Obviously, I want to send you off into the world of sex and relationships with some great top advice. So we have lined up a corker of a final episode. So strap in and get ready for our last dive into the more eccentric side of of sex and relationships courtesy of metro.co.uk I'm Miranda Kane, and on this week's show I'll be looking at things happy couples do getting some gold standard relationship tips from Mel Schilling and reading some of your final farewell stories and I hope you're ready because I've put on my heels and left the money in an envelope on the bedside table Hello, hello, hello dear listener. Okay, quick question. Have you been in a great relationship or have you just settled? Now, if you're listening to this then you definitely deserve a fabulous relationship. I have not been nattering away to you for so long for you to just settle. Fortunately, Christina Vero, a psychotherapist and a couples therapist, has shared six things that truly happy couples do in their relationships. Christina says that these are six small things that happy couples do based on her experience as a therapist. And they may be small, but she believes that the accumulation of them makes a really big impact on relationships. She starts with micro moments of connection. This could be giving each other a good morning kiss or giving each other a hug before you leave for work. The second indicator is if you asked your significant other how their day has been. Now, we have spoken to lots of relationship experts and they all say that an indicator of impending doom is when couples take each other's time for granted. And I've always loved the tip of making sure that at least once a week you have dinner together with no phones, no TV just you and your significant other or others having a real conversation which leads nicely on to number three active listening this means giving your undivided attention and asking questions this is so important for our mental health and connection that even the british heart foundation has top tips for how to actively listen The fourth thing truly happy couples do is giving each other loving attention and physical attention outside of sex. Oh, yes. Oh, we love the hand holding, the little back scratches, maybe playing with your partner's hair. It doesn't have to be OTT, PDA, but just those little things, just those little moments of touch. Come on, we went through years of not being able to touch each other. Just hold hands. Number five is showing appreciation, saying please and thank you, like your mum taught you to. It's just about creating a loving and kind culture in your home. Again, not taking each other for granted. And last but certainly not least is thoughtful things from a place of generosity. Oh, it doesn't have to be big gifts, but just bring your partner a cup of tea in the morning. Maybe leave them a little love note. She also shared more ways you can create moments of connection with your partner, like taking joint work breaks if you both work from home and complimenting your partner. It may seem obvious, but Christina says the more specific the compliment, the better. And maybe just sending a simple thinking of you text during the day. Oh, what a lovely way just to show that you're thinking of your partner. I love all of these small things. They really do make a difference no matter how many partners you've got or what kind of relationship you have. It is always nice to feel appreciated, isn't it? You can find out more over at the article Six Things Happy Couples Do According to a Relationship Therapist at metro.co.uk Now, our final guest is a corker. I am so pleased I got the chance to chat to a relationship icon before leaving you. Every fan of Married at First Sight will know her. And I had a tiny window to catch up with her before she left the UK. Obviously, she's a busy lady, so she was in the midst of a bustling working day. So there is a bit of background noise in the interview. But I promise it is all worth it for the amazing advice that I want you to use to create your own happily ever. Never after. Ladies and gentlemen, gays and theys, as we know, there is no easy way to build a relationship, even if it seems like one has been hand-delivered, especially to you, which is why I am so excited to speak to this week's guest. She's a psychologist, specialist in human behaviour, and one of the relationship experts in the phenomena that is married at first sight. It's Melanie Schilling! Melanie! Hello, Miri. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thank Thank you so much. How are you doing? Are you in England? Are you in Australia? Where are you?
1: Well, I'm currently in London, downtown Mayfair, in a busy little bustling business centre. Um, but I'm actually about to head off to Australia on Saturday to go down there to film the reunion oh. for Maps Australia. So it is all
0: happening. Oh, my God. Okay. Do you love the reunions as much as we do? <laughs>
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Because we we say to the producers, don't fill us in, don't give us any information so that we can be just as surprised as you, the audience, are. So all those reactions you see us having are absolutely genuine and in the moment.
0: Oh, my God. See, now, just like anyone who's into Married at First Sight, I have jumped straight to the end to watch the reunion. I'm going to go back to the beginning. Please tell us, how did you get involved in Married at First Sight?
1: Well, I wasn't in the original season. So the first season in Australia was a different cast. And by that point, I had been a psychologist for 20 years and I retrained as a dating coach. I was working as a dating coach and absolutely loving it. And I have a performance background as well. So for me, the idea of something to do with performing and, you know, working my skills as a professional psychologist and dating coach was just a little piece of heaven. So my friends and my family all said to me, why are you not on this show? This is you. This is the the intersection of your your skills and your passion. You should be doing this. So I did a little research. I found out who was um, casting the show. I cobbled together a little show reel of a few bits and pieces that I had done over the years and I sent it off to them. And I basically had nothing to lose so I just said to them I've got some ideas on how you know I think we could do this a little bit differently would you be open to a chat and that's where it began and this is where it's ended
0: (laughs) I mean that's that's a brilliant TED talk in itself isn't it you had because I've I've done my research your uh, courage confidence competence that is such a great example of that yeah
1: I live it and breathe it I mean I don't feel like I could you know, legitimately talk about this stuff if I didn't actually walk the talk. So I do, I take my own medicine. It's not always easy, but I do like to expand the old comfort zone.
0: Yeah, that is I, I really want to talk to you about that, but I also really want to get the, the gossip on, <laughs> on maths first. So when you're you're matching the couples, what are the things that you're looking at when you're you're figuring out who is a good match? Well it, it
1: goes so much deeper than the, than you would probably think you know a big a big driver for me is to understand people's values So that is the really the, the essence of who they are as a person and what makes them tick as a person mm. and that often leads through to lifestyle preferences so the choices that they make about the life they live and a lot of the research says that the best compatibility can be predicted by aligned values and some shared lifestyle preferences and that capacity to have a laugh. Mm-hmm. And so I find that when you've got the, the values, the fundamental stuff right, the laughs tend to follow, the spark tends to follow because, you know, the chemistry is there.
0: How do people figure out what are their, their values? So when you say values, what kind of things are you, are you talking about?
1: Sure, let, let's look at an example. Let's say I'm a person who has a really fit, active life, I might find that if I do a bit of digging and a bit of self-reflection, I might find that my highest values are things like health, maybe it's adventure, maybe it's integrity, for example. Let's say those three are my highest values. And ideally I need to be with someone who has a similar set of values or a similar set of really priorities in life. Mm. If if health is my highest value and I want to be active and adventurous and you know going to the gym, eating healthy food, staying active, supplementing with, you know, the, the vitamins and then I connect with someone who just wants to sit on the couch all day and eat junk food and you know not really move their body at all, then that's not going to work long term. It yeah. might be okay for a short-term fling, but it's not going to be, you know, compatible long term. So those are the sorts of things that we're looking to align with people. And what's really interesting is you might have those values aligned, or maybe, you know, with a lot of with a lot of our couples we see on maps, they have family as a really important value. And when that's aligned, it doesn't matter so much if some of those superficial lifestyle things are a bit different, because the really important stuff. Is
0: a line. Oh, so you can get like value shinies, like ones that (laughs) top (laughs) trump everything else. Oh, I love that. That's that's kind of nice because it means right as long as you've got these ones, then it means that everything else can be can still be worked on. But it's it's good to have things like family and what are the what are the other top trump ones? Well,
1: you know, it's it's interesting that you ask because there are there are some. And, and what you're talking about relates to deal-breakers, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, the flip side of this are deal-breakers. And and there are some that you would say are top trumps or are you know, essentially universal deal-breakers that would be at the top of that list for most reasonable people. And I would say those things relate to things like feeling safe in a relationship. So let's say you go on a date with someone. It's a first date. You start to see all these signs that maybe they're being um, disrespectful toward you or toward maybe you know the uber driver or the wait staff you know you're seeing evidence of them showing disrespect maybe they're glorifying violence perhaps in some of their stories maybe they're you know showing that they're homophobic transphobic sexist racist maybe some of that kind of attitude is coming through Maybe they're speaking over you and not listening to you. So you know, all of these are little signs of disrespect and you know can be indicators that someone is gonna go on to be in a relationship where they're gonna to want to have more power or maybe they, they even want to be, you know, a bit abusive in their power. Now of course these things aren't directly cause causative, but they can be indicators. So really for a lot of people, those global deal breakers, those if you like, unsocial behaviours can be signs that you probably don't want to, you know, continue with them. Yeah. But then there's the personal ones. So those are the global ones. Then there are the personal ones, which are, which are really, you know, they're, they're not one size fits all. It's based on your own values. So back to that health example, if that is me and my, and my highest value is health, then being with a person who, who has that unhealthy lifestyle, that's going to be a personal deal breaker for me.
0: I think we just don't think about things. People rush to go, well, what have we got in common? Like, do we like the same films? Do we like the same music? And I the more that I've done this podcast, the more I've realized that actually values are at the the core of the whole relationship. There's so much more it's so much more than just like, Oh, what bands do we have in common and and, and things like that?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> do you know what? I here's a personal story. I'll give you an exclusive here, babe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always
1: said that a deal breaker for me was heavy metal music. Hate it. Don't want a bar of it. I said I would never date someone who was into heavy metal. You know, I conjured up ideas of the stereotype of the long hair guy, the, yeah. you know, the, the, the headbanger with the Metallica T-shirt. Well, fast forward a few years, and I'm actually married to a hardcore metaler. No. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he also loves classical and jazz. Like he's—he loves music in general. But he has heavy metal T-shirts and he goes to heavy metal concerts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who does that oh, guess? I think that's—but so, that's such a great example. That's—that's that's a really nice way of saying of being able to, I think, give people a bit of hope and, and acknowledge that its values that are at the the real yeah. core of what makes relationships. That's right. Now, what about when you're... Because you are so good at all the confrontations. When it comes to putting people in their place, letting us know that you are acknowledging that there are difficult relationships on the table. And I think we've all got people in our lives who are with someone that is totally unsuitable for them. And we've had it in the last series where a lot of people were saying, oh, she's, you know, these two, they seem like they're very good on paper, but they were actually very... It was a very difficult relationship. Now, if we've got someone like that in our lives, where is a good place to start to say, babe, he's just not right for you. What can, we, what can we do to support them? Everybody, well, not everybody,
1: hopefully, but a lot of people have a friend in their life that, you know, that they're going through a phase where they're, they're in perhaps a toxic or a dysfunctional relationship. And uh, what do I do with yeah. that? My, my first bit of advice is don't go in hard criticising the partner. Because chances are, if your friend is in a, a toxic or dysfunctional relationship, there's probably some shame associated with that for them. And chances are, if you go in hard, your friend's going to get on the defensive and probably want to protect you know, their, their pride or ego at this point. They, they might really want to maintain that privacy because they might feel a bit embarrassed that they're in a relationship like that. So if you go in saying, your partner's a dickhead, you've got to get rid of him or her, you know, then it's really, it's it's not going to work so well. So I find a better approach is to, in, in your own mind, take the partner out of the equation and just talk to your friend one-on-one in terms of, I'm concerned about you, babe. I'm noticing you're not as happy as, as you usually are or, you know, you've, you've started withdrawing from our friendship group. We're not seeing as much of you. We're worried about you. Talk about specific behaviours that your friend is demonstrating and show your concern for them as an individual. That's the best place to start. And that's where, you know, you're not going to be stepping over any boundaries in terms of their privacy because they can then choose to share that or not. But what you're also doing is saying, I'm here, I love you unconditionally. I'm your support person. This is a safe place to land. If things do get tricky in that relationship, you can come to me.
0: I'm writing all this down, Mel. Thank you. This is great. (laughs) And what about good dating tips? What about for the people who are starting their dating lives? Where can people start when they're looking for their partners?
1: Okay. Well, the best starting point is to get really, really clear about your dating goal. What do you actually want to get out of this process? So, I mean, at, you know, at a high level, are you looking for just some casual hookups, some light fun, you know, no, no strings? Or are you actually saying to yourself, I'm ready for my next serious relationship? Because they're two very different goals that require two very different paths and different tactics and tools, really, to get yeah. there. Um, and if you get them muddled up, You're in all sorts of trouble. So (laughs) an example of that is when someone comes to me and says, I'm really ready for my next relationship. I want a serious, committed connection with someone. But they're spending all their time on the mobile dating apps. They're connecting with people just for hookups. And they're getting distracted by the beep, beep, are you up in their their DMs Mm. at 3 a.m. Nothing wrong with doing that if that's what you want. But if you are looking for a relationship, that kind of stuff can be really distracting and it can take your eye off the prize, if you like. You know, you can sort of temporarily satisfy that need, sort of like scratching an itch rather than leaving it itchy for a little bit longer so that you've got time to actually find the right one. So that's really the first step is getting clear on whether you want a short-term or a long-term connection with someone. And then really it's about choosing the right tactics for each one. You know, if you you want hookups, there's so many fantastic apps these days that can be really immediate. You know, GPS, oh, there there she is right next door to me. (laughs) (laughs) Go and knock on the door nice and easy you know it's not hard to get paid, yes. really is it it's really not <laughs> praise the lord it's really easy <laughs> 2023 but if you are at the stage now where you're saying i want a relationship there's a different a different approach that i'd recommend so look absolutely there there are some apps out there that are more tailored toward relationships and, you know, tend to be more tailored toward things like values and and uh, relationship beliefs and, and lifestyle preferences, that sort of stuff. More about, you know, connecting with the person. You know, some of them offer, for example, video dating, which I think is a brilliant idea, particularly post-COVID. You know, a lot of us are feeling out of practice with connecting people and, and having, you know, small talk. And video, I find, can be a really good interim step between, you know, just DMing someone and meeting them. And also means you don't have to invest too much time and energy in someone before you've tested out, you know, whether they're right for you.
0: And you don't feel that kind of pressure, I guess, as well, to kind of go, well, I mean, the pressure of just like, well, I've just spent 20 quid getting into, you know, somewhere and, and then and then the pressure to kiss yeah. at the end and you're like, oh, I, I don't know what to do um, or like you've gotten a baby, you've had a few too many. What? Sorry, Mel, I'm getting personal again. Sorry, <laughs> this is the- Oh, and, and don't forget, Mary, you have to wear yes. pants.
1: So, you know, if, if, if you're on video call, you can just be, look, fabulous from the waist up, nothing from the waist <laughs> out. <laughs>
0: that could <can> be fun. Or <laughs> we'll just get it the wrong way round. That's, that's fine. Oh, look, it could be an accident. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what frustrates you the most when people are starting out? When they, when they come to you, when they came to you as a, da- as a dating coach or when they come to you still, what are the things that frustrate you the most when they're saying, "Mel, I'm looking for this person, that person? What makes you think, oh, no, you're, you're starting off on the wrong path here, mate?
1: Yeah, well, I've got a list. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> where I will start is unrealistic expectations. And, you know, the people who come in with this laundry list of things they want in a partner that are just you know, quite often I'll go through the list with them and get them to categorise which of these things are internal characteristics, which ones are external. Because ideally, you want to have about 80% of the things on that list, internal characteristics, 20% external. So the 80% is things like, you know, the values, someone who wants to have a family, someone who is honest and transparent in their communication, someone who's really good at solving problems. That might be your 80%. And then the 20% might be, you know, over six foot or, you know, goes for leads. I don't know. You know, that (laughs) external stuff. Yeah. Because it's less important. Um, So when I find people having, you know, this incredible list of things that are often superficial, often not important and... You know, quite frivolous things. That that's very frustrating because I find people putting their energy in the wrong place, and therefore they just keep ad- attracting the wrong people over and over again. Mm,
0: and you're always one hit of a bus ride away from your physicality totally changing, anyway, isn't it? Like... It's, exactly. <laughs> it's quite an uplifting way to put it, really, isn't it? <laughs> I was trying to think of something more eloquent, but that was the only way I could put it. <laughs> and let's talk about you. This I love your mantra of courage, confidence and competence. How can people begin to instill that into themselves?
1: Well, I I love the idea of stepping into courage in a way that's not going to create... Too much anxiety. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, feel the fear and do it anyway. And everything you want is on the other side of fear. You know, I think that suits some people, but not everyone. You know, we don't all want to put ourselves into really scary situations in order to grow. And I don't don't believe you have to. You know, I think there's such a thing as expanding your comfort zone by taking small courageous steps and gradually, you know, building up that courage muscle over time. So, you know, let's say you're someone who really wants to be able to speak on stage or sing on stage. Um, You don't have to jump up and do that right away. You know, something you could do is, you know, maybe start by singing into the video on your phone and showing a friend, you know. So doing those things that are still slightly pushing your boundaries, but not to the point of anxiety. And I think as long as you keep moving forward, you don't get stuck in those baby steps, but, you know, be very... Very aware of the fact that these are stepping stones to get me to where I want to go, then you can do it in a really gradual and I think emotionally safe way. That's my that's my take on courage, and I, and I find that you know that that is a lot more palatable than jump off the cliff
0: and build the parachute on the way down. I love that. I've never thought of it as a muscle before, but that makes so much sense because if you go to the gym and you start with your twenty k weights, you've got no chance. But you start off with one and you do that 10 times and then you go to exactly two. so it, it makes so much more and, and again like as you said it's palatable um little baby steps and not getting stuck in the baby steps that's you know that makes yeah i really love that analogy yes oh you should do this for a living mel this is great love it funny that
1: <laughs> but let's pick up on your gym analogy too because i love that because also if you do go into the gym on that first day and attempt to lift the 20 kilos how do you feel the next day
0: Oh, terrible! Can't move.
1: Yeah, shattered. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's the, it's the same. You know, it's the same with all of our social skills, um, which is really what we're talking about with dating. It's a social skill.
0: It's a social muscle. That's that's what we're exercising here. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Start off small. What about confidence? People, because people look at me and they go, oh, you've got loads of confidence. And it's like, I feel like I, you know, I in the right setting I do, like when I know what I'm talking about, when I know what I'm doing, I feel like I've got confidence, right? but, you know, anywhere else. And I'm like, oh no, I, I don't. And people, I think people mistake confidence for a lot of other things, you know, like, but but where can people start when it comes to building up their confidence? Well, I, I was
1: gonna I was gonna question you on on where you ended up going there with with your own thoughts there. Um, what do you think people when people see you? What do you think they're mistaking for confidence? What do they actually see?
0: I think because I'm quite loud and I've got like at the moment bright red hair and
1: which is fabulous, by the
0: way. Thank you, thank you, love it. And I'm my sort of way to get over feeling unconfident is just to kind of glom onto someone and try to make them laugh and try to make the room laugh and just try to be more like, um, you know, well, no, if no one's talking, then I'll be the one to talk and I'll be the one to break the silence. But, you know... I also just want to run out of the room and and want the you, you, like afterwards. I'll I'll be like, oh my god, what did I do? Did I make an absolute tit out of myself? Right,
1: and maybe you feel a bit drained later. Yes,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Look, and I think, you know, you're certainly not alone there. I think a lot of people look at someone who is outgoing, Mm. maybe extroverted in their orientation, (laughs) and they assume that they're confident, but it's not always the case. You know, in fact, some of the most, um, I guess, if if you look at people's professional lives, you know, they're on stage, they're on TV, they're on the microphone. You assume that they're going to be the most confident people, and they're often not. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think you're onto something there. I mean, the way I look at confidence is to really break it up into to two portions. One is your self-esteem, and the other is self-efficacy. So self-esteem is really how you feel. That's the the emotional bit, and that's what you think you deserve. So if you talk to someone whose self-esteem is healthy or robust, they'll say things like. I deserve love, I deserve to be happy, I deserve success, and I, I know that's going to happen for me. If someone's low on their self-esteem, they don't necessarily believe that. And, you know, for example, you often see people getting into um, unhealthy relationships over and over again, and often what is underpinning that belief is, this is all I deserve. Yeah. And that's that's self-esteem. And then the other side of the coin there in confidence is self-efficacy, which is really the belief that I can do it. This is the competence piece where this comes into it. So this is where you're saying, I can have a great, loving, positive relationship because I've had it before and I know I've you know proven to myself that I can do it. I've got the skills that I can now build on, so I'm going to go and do it again
0: the idea of looking at it's like a skill set as well we don't we don't tend to do that either
1: yep and it absolutely is these are things you can practice every day and you know that's that's the kind of stuff i put throughout my book lots of little journal activities that you can do so it's really practical so you
0: can you can really
1: start flexing that muscle
0: and please what is the, the book called that lovely little segue what was what's the book that you've got out at the moment
1: it's called the c word confidence all that confidence it's
0: called the c word oh i love it available now wherever you get your finest of books what has been some of the things that you've learnt from not just being a dating coach but from the people that you've coached from the contestants from the the clients what's been some of the things that you've learnt and you've taken in
1: i think one of the, the biggest and probably most surprising lessons is the one about chemistry and that it can genuinely grow. It doesn't have to be there immediately. You know, I, you know if, I, if you were to ask me 15 years ago, I would have said, oh, absolutely, if there's not instant spark, walk away. Um, but now I've just seen so many, so many examples of, you know, couples who've ended up in great relationships, who started out either as friends Or as, you know, maybe they're on a date, but there just wasn't, they didn't fancy each other, as you say, in this country. They didn't fancy the (laughs) pants off each other. It just wasn't there. But it did grow. And certainly, you know, we see this on Married at First Sight all the time. It is definitely something that I've learnt and, you know, I now understand not just theoretically, but in terms of, you know, sort of seeing those real examples. It can happen.
0: It's such a strange thing because I was thinking about chemistry. I was talking to someone about this. Because we used to have a lifestyle where people would meet their significant others because they were at university or at college together or they were at work together. There was no internet dating. And nowadays it's like, well, I met them for a date and the chemistry wasn't there. And because there's no mutual friends, there's no, they don't ever get to meet. They don't ever get is to no build There's no social there. context. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So how is there a way to build up chemistry when you have met someone on a dating site? how would you help that chemistry along well
1: firstly just a very simple practical step is i think a good way to start testing that is through video dating mm. you know i really do see that as the interim step because you can't you can't measure chemistry at all via dm mm. i think you can measure it a bit via video dating because you know you can get more of that nonverbal communication That's really what chemistry is. It is just vibing in terms of your nonverbal communication, your body language. So, you know, as you and I right now, we can see each other, we can see the movement, our posture, our gestures. You know, we're reading a lot more from each other than than just what we're hearing. Um, And so I would say that's a really good step. And then when you do start to meet the person, you know, something as simple as holding eye contact a little bit longer than you feel comfortable can be a really good test of chemistry. Um, you know, they they say that, you know, if you're wanting to um, fast-track bonding and deep rapport with someone, hold their eye contact for between five and seven seconds. Now, that's a long time. And, you know, that is one way. And don't do it in a weird, creepy way. But <laughs> don't be like staring like a stalker at your date. So that's a good one to test. And the other one is a little, and you can't do this unless you're in person, a little light touch, a little non-sexual touch. You know, I find, you know, the lower arm is a really good safe place to touch someone, you know, on the arm. And it's just a little, hey, I'm with you, I'm connecting with you. You know, it's very rare that, that people would find that off-putting. You'll know straight away if they will. They'll they'll give you a very clear, they'll recoil from yeah. you if they're, they're not into it. But it's also a nice way to sort of signal that, you know, you're interested in building something there.
0: Yeah, I think I was saying that to a friend of mine. I was like, when I meet someone, I put my hand on, on there. It's like, just like, because if they're standing you're just like, hey, how are you? You know, it's not a weird thing. And she was like, but what if they recoil? What if happen? And it's like they hardly ever do. No one does because they don't, A, they don't really notice it. And if they do, they're like, oh, that's quite nice we We hear we get a lot of tips from you when we see you on mass. we get a lot of things about when you're building a relationship. But what about when it comes to keeping that relationship and long term? What are some of your big tips for keeping that relationship going over a long term?
1: Um a lot of people talk about date night, you know, and it's become you know a bit of a almost a bit of a cliche. You're in a couple, you must have date night, but I actually really rate it, you know I, I think. And it doesn't have to be every week, but just having that commitment to not just your partner, but to yourself as well, you know, to the relationship, almost like the third entity, There's stuff you do for your partner every day, the stuff you do for yourself every day. But what about that third entity, the relationship? So, you know, putting time aside in your diary we can actually say, right, this even if it's once a month, this is our time to go for dinner or sit down in the park or go for a walk, whatever it is that, that you do together, and just spend a bit of time reflecting on how things are going. You know, have those chats about, you know, when 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 you do this, I feel this and I really like it if you do this more. And you know, those sorts of comments where you're giving a little bit of feedback, um, but also really working together to create a positive, you know, ongoing relationship. Because it won't just happen. You've got to do the work.
0: <laughs> do you use these kind of tips and th- when you're with your co-stars and when you're with your the the people on maths, are there times when you're like, I, I have to bear in mind and you know, or is it is it just that everyone gets on all right? Or do you do you find yourself thinking, okay, how can I how can I get into this situation without Confrontation. So,
1: do you mean my my fellow panellists or do you mean the contributors? Oh,
0: a bit, bit of both.
1: So, we, I mean, it's, it's, different, it's a different dynamic in Australia and here. Um, what I love about Paul, Paul and Charlene here is the three of us, we're not only from three very different professional backgrounds, but we're from three different bloody countries, you know. <laughs> yes. So, our upbringing and our cultural backgrounds are so incredibly different. And we just have the most fascinating debates because we really do come at problems from very different perspectives. And we've done, what's this been, our third season together. We've just finished. And I feel like we've finally found our groove. It's taken a while to get into it. Same with Australia because Alessandra joined us only, I think, four seasons ago. And I think it's taken us a bit of time, but we've found our groove there as well. So I feel like I've got two fantastic teams that I'm working with now, one on each side of the com- of the globe, <laughs> both very different from each other, and we've you know we've muddled our way through it, and we've we've found our we've found our equilibrium, I think.
0: And what about with the contestants? Because there must be times when they're just like, no, we know our relationship, we're not listening, or you know, they get the knock at the door and you're there. It's how do you keep your your calm and your cool with them and and you know, your confidence?
1: In short, I don't. (laughs) No, just kidding. There there certainly are times when I get frustrated. And I mean, you probably know by now, if you've watched the show at all, I can't hide it. (laughs) If I'm feeling something, I do show it. I I have zero poker face. So, you know, I think it's very clear to our couples when something's playing out in front of me that I'm not comfortable with and you know that that they know that I will bring it up you know and even the producers have said to me you know we start we know that when (laughs) when you start to move toward the 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 front of your chair and you lean forward we know something's coming and (laughs) I don't even realize I do it but you know, I, I I cannot sit back and, you know, particularly something that's very important to me is if someone is treating someone else poorly. You know, if there's an inequality in a relationship or if there's disrespect, I, I cannot sit back and allow that to happen.
0: Yeah, the shilling move of moving forward. That's what we're, that's <laughs> exactly. what we're all waiting for. That's, we love it. Take a drink when she sits forward. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Something's cracking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just finally, then, if you could write a bumper sticker for people finding their best selves and their best relationships, what would you put on your bumper sticker? Believe that you deserve it and it will come. Ah, oh, I love that. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on Smut Drop. That has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much, Mel Schilling. I've loved it. Thanks for having me. It's my final dive into the fun bags. Oh, thank you all for submitting your final farewell stories and your kinky questions. I wanted to start off with Carrie, who always had some juicy stories for me. She says, thank you for being a weird and wonderful little confessional. I always felt weirdly proud whenever you read my sex stories back to me on the bus to work. Oh, thank you for sending them in. And don't feel like you have to stop confessing your sins, my child. I am always here to listen I just might not be able to read them back to you on the bus unless something's really gone weird with my career uh Mike says thank you and the team for putting together such a fun podcast it's really opened up my mind to the possibilities of what a relationship can look like away from traditional monogamy I feel more prepared to share the love 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 isn't that what it's all about And yes, there does have to be a few rules and spreadsheets and communication. Oh, well, do you know what? If you want to know what your relationship could look like, then there's nearly two years of episodes if you want to know more. We're going to end with an anonymous uh, because they have said, but Miranda, who are you going to awkwardly flirt with now? (laughs) I thought I got away with it. I thought no one ever noticed. (laughs) I'm a free agent. It could be anyone. No one is safe. Fortunately, none of you have to listen to it happening once a week. So you can thank me later. Uh, But of course, you can always keep in contact and watch any of my future further shenanigans on social media. Keep up with me and the Pineapple team. You can stay in contact. New projects, new stories, new podcasts. I am that Miranda Kane on Instagram or Twitter as Miri Kane. And thank you all for listening to Smut Drop. I've been Miranda Kane. Smut Drop was produced by the fabulous Pineapple Audio Production from Metro.co.uk. This is our final episode. So please, please remember, don't do anything that I wouldn't do. But if you do, then name it after me.